but at its core, right, systems thinking is really, I think, about stepping back and looking at a problem as broad in the broadest context you possibly can. Everyone has a dream, and some people's dreams take them to extraordinary places. David Simon is one of those people. Tune in every quarter to learn how a 50-something lawyer from the U.S. navigates the ancient world of Oxford College in pursuit of an MBA. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox back with David Simon for yet another episode of A Yank at Oxford. David, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Good to be with you. Maybe we could start with an update of what's been going on for David at Oxford. Yeah, it's been a while since our... I can't remember when we did our last one. It's been a while. So... The light is, I don't know if this is the best way to, to describe it, but the light's sort of at the end of the tunnel. I have had, I guess, in the re since the beginning of the year, I've had three courses, all of which are electives, private equity, strategy and innovation, and a course called New Approaches to Strategy. And one required course in marketing, which was pretty interesting as well. I'm doing, one of our course requirements is, a, is an entrepreneurship project. So we have to, we work in a group and we basically conceive of and develop a business plan and a pitch deck for a startup and go through the whole process of building that plan. And it's the idea is to integrate a lot of the things we've learned in our substantive courses. So I've been working on that. And I was right now, as we speak this week, I'm doing, I'm auditing a class in AI for business executives, which is real interesting. So it's been a lot, it's been a lot, although get, getting close to the end now. It's hard to believe we've been on this journey together and you've been on it at a lot deeper level, but I can't believe we're this close at the end. It just seems like we started, but what do you have? If, what do you have left? Two modules left. One is in July, one in September. I think the July module is on negotiations, which is one of the like few subject matters. I feel like I'm not coming into totally stupid. I hope, I hope, I hope that'll come fairly easy to me. And then we have a, our last session is in September and it's on the strategic leader. I think it's designed as a course to integrate everything we've learned throughout the two years and focus on us as individuals and as leaders in, in business and the professions and how to apply what we've learned. That's come up in September. We have uh, an end of term or an end of course ceremony because it's Oxford. We don't actually graduate in the, the traditional way. So we graduate from our college and I'm a Keeble college guy. So that, that won't happen until probably spring of 2024. I'll have my actual graduation, but we're having a, we're having an end of term ceremony with the, with the business school and the executive MBA course. And it's going to be really cool. We're doing, they're going to do the full Sheldonian theater ceremony, and we'll have a reception at the Divinity School, and we're allowed to invite our friends and family. So a bunch of my family's coming over. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. The Have you been giving any more thought or how much more thought have you been giving to what to do with all this? I know we've talked about this. You've, you've It certainly opened your eyes up to, I don't want to say new areas, but maybe a broader remit of the things you have practiced law in for 30 years. Is that right? Almost. 20, Almost. Yeah, 27 with Foley plus a okay. So I'll get my 40 yeah. year reunion this year, but it's been interesting to listen to you describe 
not really learning new things, but really seeing how it all fits together. And more than simply fitting together in, in one country or one economic system, really on a global package, on a global basis. And we've talked about some of those global issues, but really any thoughts about where you might be able to take this new perspective, either within the confines and constraints of the practice of law or perhaps even a broader remit? Yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot, actually. And it's, it's this is a bittersweet time in the program because I've at some level, it's been an enormous amount of work, as I, we've talked about before, and I need to get through it. I, I can't manage everything that I'm trying to manage for forever like this. So I'm relieved in a very sort of deep sense that I'm getting through, I'm almost through it. But I'm also thinking a lot about, oh my gosh, this is almost over and I'm going to miss it deeply. I'm going to miss the people deeply. I'm thinking a lot about how do I maintain the relationships, both with my classmates and with the faculty at Oxford that I've gotten to know and work with. How do I, you know, how do I use this, this information, this perspective, right? It feels like there's risk in everything in life, right? You finish something and then it, it increasingly moves to the back of your brain to the point where eventually it's almost just a light memory. So I really don't want that to happen. And so I've been thinking about it a lot. One of the things that I've just noticed is observing myself and observing myself in my practice is I am seeing there's a level at which this stuff has been absorbed into me as a professional and it affects the way I do my job. And the other day I had just an example of that where, you know, it really is, and I don't know where it comes from. It might just be confidence that because I'm an, M an MBA program, I have like license to talk about things that I wouldn't feel like I had license to talk about if I was just a lawyer. But I find myself much more comfortable moving out of my lane and looking at my clients' problems and advising my clients a little bit more broadly rather than just focusing in on the legal issue. We talked about this, I think, in the last podcast, this idea of systems thinking and how that is anomalous with legal training and the problem with that, because really I think our clients are coming to us for solutions to problems that are complex and multifaceted and include legal issues, but aren't just legal issues. So I've noticed that I like, just as an example, I had a client, you've probably been in this situation too, right? A client is dealing with some compliance issues that are semi-public and they're very concerned about how certain disclosures affect them in terms of their some of their vendors, right? And their vendors are, uh, let's say, skittish given their compliance challenges. You know, historically, I would have been very focused in on advising on just the legal issues and the regulators and how to thread the needle in terms of communications with this vendor in the context of the investigation. In this more recent example, I found myself talking more broadly about, okay, like, what about, is your supply chain too dependent on one supplier? What are the non-market risks here, independent of our compliance matter that implicate your leverage with this vendor? And how do we deal with this in a, in a broader, it's a legal problem and it clearly is an acute legal problem, but it has consequences beyond that. And how can we solve it more holistically? That's been real. That's what I was trying to do when I started this. That was what I had in mind is like being a more kind of holistic strategic advisor to, to my clients when they're coming to me with these pretty significant problems. And so it was a good, it was a, a kind of a cool aha moment. Okay. 
I'm, I, there's something here that is has changed me and changed the way I, I advise. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. Well, let me suggest perhaps another reason or another way to think about your own personal journey, because I had a journey similar without the MBA component. Part of it is once you hit 50, you're able to synthesize <clears throat> a lot you've learned over the past 25 years. And you're obviously older and hopefully more mature with the ability to see that bigger picture. And for me, that journey was enhanced by moving into the world of social media, blogging, writing books, podcasting, et cetera. When I hear you with that same sort of journey, but it's more focused through the MBA program, and it's given you the ability, not just the tools or new information, but you've really stepped back in a way. We've done a few projects together over the years, and you're very laser focused on the issue in front of you, as you should be as a lawyer. But you've really been able to step back and look at things differently with all of your background and experience today. It seems to have all coalesced in a way that my path was similar, although a little bit different. So that's, once I'm someone explained to me, that's the beauty of growing old. And I was much younger and unfortunately didn't understand, but it is. And you can put all this together. But for you, I also saw physically you took a step back from practicing law and all of the day-to-day -day worries and cases and issues you had before, you had less of them. You didn't have none, but you're able to really step back and do that. So for me, it's been fun to watch you evolve in this this thinking as well. And going forward, I'm only going to suggest you put all of that in a podcast. But yeah, it's, a, it's a really good point, Tom. And I have been thinking, one of the things that has, I've been more tangibly thinking about is, right, I feel like I've got so much information that has been conveyed to me, really good, useful, important, relevant, current information. And I don't want I like the fact that some of it's just embedded in inside of me and is going to affect how I do my work, whatever that looks like going forward. But I also want to capture it in a more tangible way as well. And one of the things I've been thinking about, and I'm hesitating to say this out loud because then I'll feel like I have to do it. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the point, but I've been thinking about collecting this. A lot of my, a lot of my work has been the intersection of the EMBA program and the practice of law, legal services, professional advisory services. And a lot of my assignments that I've worked on have involved that space. I really think that there's something here in terms of particularly lawyers, but maybe broader professional advisors, how to become a more effective strategic advisor to companies, to businesses, to organizations. How do you become the consigliere, the trusted advisor, the, the that person I think we all know from the movies and from history, Cardinal Richelieu, Tom Hagen from The Godfather, right? That guy, that guy or gal who really does, who's the, the source of wisdom and direction for an organization. And I just think there's something to that here. And I'm, I've been thinking about whether that's the form of a book focused on that particular space, which I think maybe there is something there. I was thinking maybe as an interim step is potentially trying to put together a course for a law school or maybe a joint law school, business school course, integrating this. And maybe that helps structure my thinking in a way that makes the book easier to do. 
I think particularly in this age of we're entering into art, the artificial intelligence age, I think with chat GPT and how that's going to affect lawyers, particularly, it's going to just be so important for people to learn how to become true strategic advisors. That's where the value is going to be. And so I think I might have something to say on that. And so that's one of the things I'm thinking about. I would certainly encourage you to continue that thinking because as a brother lawyer, I think it's important for lawyers to write about this from the lawyer perspective and to really point out, I don't want to say the current model is broken because we both grew up in the current model, but the current model says you're an associate, start off going reviewing these documents, then write me a motion, then learn how to interview learn how to take a deposition and you learn specific tasks. And the assumption is you'll pick up the law along the way. You may or may not see the bigger picture. And just in listening to you, I'm really wondering, is there a different way for lawyers to be trained internally? Once again, with the pressure of the holy billable hour and all of those mm -hmm. things that are driving businesses in America, but is there a different way to deliver legal services? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah. those are such great questions and such important questions. I think the answer is there has to be, right? I think one of the one of the things that's going to happen really fast in our industry is that corporate clients are not going to pay exorbitant rates to first and second year associates to do things that ChatGPT can do for free and instantaneously, right? That's coming. And there's an economic kind of threat there to the law firm model, because there's a lot of billings that go through junior associates and paralegals. But the more, I think more interesting and more important point is the one you raised, which is the professional development model, right? Like how do we create senior lawyers with judgment, strategic judgment and advocacy skills and that sort of that core value added stuff that we're talking about here? without the path that we have now, because the path that we have now isn't going to exist. So how do we get senior lawyers without junior lawyers? And how do we take people through a different kind of path that leads to a strategic advisor, a value adder that, and I don't know what that looks like, to be honest with you. I think we have to be think, I think that's the ultimate challenge for law firm leadership right now is to figure out what that looks like. I don't know if it's maybe more like a medical residency model where you you train people, you, you train people without expecting them to really fully practice or something else. But I just, I think it's the biggest challenge we face as an industry. We got to figure it out and we don't have a lot of time because things are moving so fast. Let me change the focus just a little bit, David, and ask you about, have you had any courses that intrigued you around the issue of strategy? Yeah. So I've been, so a lot of my focus has been on strategy. Partly it's a it's a lame way to avoid math and not lame to um, me. Strategic <laughs> finance and economics in them. So I've been focused, but I'm also just really interested in it. So we had a core required strategy course that I think we talked about last year. And since then I have two electives that I took that are really interesting. One was called strategy and innovation. And the other was called new approaches to strategy. Strategy and innovation was really about, it really is about this issue that we're just talking about, right? It's disruptive tech. How does disruptive technology intersect with the world of strategy and developing business models? And it was really interesting. We talked a lot about tech and the disruption that is caused by new technologies, which is true and important, but it's really interesting to study 
how much tech doesn't become a real innovation, right? And how much disruptive tech maybe becomes an innovation that never catches on and becomes a real business that that employs people and generates revenue and right exists for more than five minutes. So that's that's what we really focused on in that class. A lot of it was on the the infrastructure that's required, right? They call it complementary assets, right? So to have, like, to go back to the legal example, right? To have to use ChatGPT Chat as a disruptive technology to really turn it into a business model and a and use it for a firm, you have to have complementary assets like the right technology at the firm, the right regulatory environment where you can use it, the right people who are trained to do to intersect. Without those complementary assets, it's just, it's just a technology. It's not it's not something that really impacts the world. So we focused a lot on that. That was really a, a super interesting, interesting course and really helped me understand better kind of the startup world, the tech disruption world, and how things really turn into real things as opposed to just cool gimmicky technology. So that was one. And then the other was new, it's called new approaches to strategy. That was really interesting too. So it was, it was, we focused in on some concepts like open strategy, where I think there's some really interesting literature out there and research showing that some of the very traditional Michael Porter structured, a group of executives goes off and thinks deeply about the world and formulates a plan that they then implemented their organization, that that really doesn't work in the world we're living in right now. Things are moving too fast. There's too much data. That group of people who are like looking at data points don't have enough data points to make good decisions. They come up with these strategies that don't really resonate with their organizations and implementation falls down. I think everybody has seen that. A lot of the course was on some different techniques and tools and platforms for doing strategy in a different way that is more open, more participatory, more driven by things like narratives and stories and concepts and just looser and more flexible, more agile methods of doing strategy, all of which was really interesting to me. And I thought resonated particularly in the law firm where you have so many stakeholders, so many people with perspectives. And I think we've both probably seen this a million times where strategies are, if you looked at the strategies of the AMLA 100, you would probably see almost no difference between 95, 90, 95% of them, number one. And number two, almost no implementation at any of the firms that developed them. And like some of these concepts are really much more about doing it as you go and involving people as you go and checking data to make sure you're headed in the right direction in real time and not just looking at a three-year or a five-year plan. It just, just doesn't fly in the world we live in. Really interesting stuff. Enjoyed both classes a lot. So you, we've mentioned generative AI in this podcast several times, and I want to save our deep dive for another podcast that I have with you on this topic. But you wrote a paper about that. Could you just generally describe that? And could we link to that paper in the show notes? Yeah. So yes, we do. My paper is on essentially ChatGPT in the legal services industry. And I looked at the technology, where it stands, the obstacles to it being implemented in the law firm. One of the big obstacles that I think is obvious to everyone is the fact that it's a two-way street. So when you're asking a question, you're inputting data. 
And as a law firm with confidential client data, there are some real limitations on what you can do, what you can do there. So I looked at the technology, I looked at the, the markets around it, the complementary assets that I mentioned before, sort of looked at where we were. And then I laid out an approach for a law firm that was trying to promote significant innovation using generative AI within the structure of also trying to run a law firm and manage the sort of the day-to-day -day revenue generating aspects of a law practice. There's some really good guidance out there from some really smart people about how to build those models where you can simultaneously innovate and also exploit your existing assets and run your current business. So I laid out a proposed approach. I would be very happy to share it publicly, although I cannot do so until I get my grade back because Oxford has very, very specific, strict, and sometimes unusual rules around plagiarism. So I can't put it out there yet, but once I get my mark, I, I will definitely share it and be happy to have you share it with your listeners. So maybe we could end, David, with just a, a broader or discussion around some of the new approaches to strategies. And I'm going to challenge you to maybe go beyond your remit as a lawyer in private practice to think about how about the general counsel's office in a corporation? How about the chief compliance officer? Are there different strategies that those professions can utilize based upon some of the things you've learned? Yeah, I think so. It's interesting. Generally with like grand strategy, grand corporate strategy, those functions tend not to be at the table, right? Who we are, where we're competing, where we're not competing in a company that tends to be not, they tend to not include those overhead functions, but they probably should, right? Because risk, there's no better place to understand the environment, the risk, the risk profile for the organization than compliance and legal. I think that's what we're really good at. I do think one of the interesting techniques that this actually comes from Google is called living strategy, where um, they actually, they have some corporate directives right at the high level, but then they give a lot of autonomy to individual units to develop their own strategy consistent with anchored to the overall corporate strategy, but, but within their sort of scope of function. And I think that's an interesting model for sort of our colleagues who are in, in, in corporate to be thinking about a maybe small S strategy within their function that supports the grand S strategy at the top, but is much more focused in their space. And then I would also say, I think it's very important to just loop back. I think it's important for that perspective on, on risk principally and on the external environment that the organization's operating in, that those functions are able to share that into the grand strategy as an input into the grand strategy. You mentioned a couple of times the rest of your tenure at Oxford. Maybe we could conclude this podcast with some final thoughts of this spring term and then really ramping up for your last few months. How are you feeling? I am feeling actually really good right now, to be honest. I, I, and I wasn't about a month ago. I was feeling burnt out, overwhelmed, maybe a little frustrated. And I think anything like this, that is a venture like this, that's a lot of work and 
pulls you in different directions. It's bound to produce that at some point in time. You have to work through it. But I had a really good, like my last session was in just a couple of weeks ago, and it was this new approaches to strategy. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the professor. It was a really, it was like this sort of quintessential EMBA Oxford class where it was super participatory. I learned a ton from my classmates who were engaged and sharing information and it was energizing. And then I also got to spend a little bit of time with a faculty member called Rupert Younger, who runs, I think I mentioned before, Tom, the Center for Corporate Reputation at Oxford, which I find their work really interesting and very consistent with the sort of thing we do. And I had dinner with him and talked about his research. And it was all, it was like, it was just a great reminder for me of all the cool stuff and all the incredibly interesting relevant stuff that I'm getting at Oxford. So I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling energized. I'm not, I'm not looking to extend things out by another year by any stretch, but, but I'm in a good spot for the kind of the final push. David, unfortunately we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I greatly look forward to our next visit. Great. Nice talking to you as always. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of a Yank in Oxford. I hope you will join us for another episode as we continue David's journey to getting a MBA from the Oxford Executive Education Program. A Yank in Oxford is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network.